0: 2.99. Why
1: are you judging my daughter's diving?
0: I wasn't talking about her. I was finalizing this month's special at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin.
2: 2.99% interest for 10 years. Wow, 2.99. Yeah? Visit PellaWI.com. The Wisconsin State Fair is here, bringing you the sights and sounds live from the fair. In for Jeff Wagner, here's your host, Ryan Records.
3: And a welcome to the Wisconsin State Fair. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in for Jeff Wagner. And this morning there was this hazy, rainy drizzle, and so many people were hiding in pavilions and hanging out with the cows. And here we are now. Everyone's walking around having a good time. The Skyliner is carrying people. And things are looking great. Let's talk about the show and some of the things that we're going to be covering today. Mark Hamrick's a friend of mine, someone that is from Bankrate. And whenever there's these big stories of government spending, how will it impact the economy? How does he look at this bill? What are some things we're not talking about? He's going to join us in the next segment. And then I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on after he's off the line. And I say this kind of like, okay, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. But I do have one thing I need to bring out, a story over in the U.K., and one thing that I think we need to be very cautious here in the United States to make sure we don't go down this route. I saw this story, too, out of the newspaper. Two Milwaukee property owners accused the city of creating certain zones in the city for low income. And it's interesting argument that they're making, so we'll talk about that later in the show, too. I want to give a big shout-out to my Uber driver, Robert, who was listening to WTMJ while driving around and across Milwaukee this morning. We had a good conversation things that were going on, early morning fair, this is day five, and it's show five for me on WTMJ. When I was younger, I had a part-time job working for the Parks and Rec Department for the city that I lived in, and one of the big events was the giant fair once a year, and it was the only week of the year that they would allow you to get overtime as a part-time employee, so I took advantage of that. One year, I worked 120 hours that week. For a seven-day period, 120 hours. It was backbreaking. I was younger, and I was able to keep up with that sort of pace. And this was way back in the day before cell phones and things like that. So you would show up, and you would work all day, no distractions. My treat was a little... Rice Krispie Square, that's pretty much what they fed you during that time. And I remember I found a beeper on the ground, and the guy came to retrieve it and gave me $20 for finding his beeper on the ground. That's probably the most I got paid during that whole time. I wanted to give you a few observations about the Inflation Reduction Act and how the media in some ways are covering it. We'll have some clips of this hopefully later this hour. But I wanted to point out, Last night and this morning I was watching some of the weekend coverage, and I'm just going to point out NBC because that just happened to be what I was watching on TMJ4. And with that, they were discussing the passage, working through the weekend, and NBC set up exactly, okay, here's what the bill is, here's basically the bulletin points, here's what the Democrats are saying about it, and here's what the Republicans are saying about it. That would be the way you would normally set up a a, a story. No big deal, right? So I timed it. From the start of the article, or at least of the news coverage, on this is the national coverage from NBC News, it was a minute and 19 to give the Democratic side to it. And then they gave the Republican rebuttal of 16 seconds. 16 seconds. I thought to myself, wait, is that fair? Is there any obligation for them to give the same side? Or is it always, okay, this is the big spending package, this is going to be President Biden's legacy, no big deal, that's just how it works. So I went back into time, and I decided to look into 2017, when the Senate passed the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And I tried to find exactly after the Senate passed it, so this is before it was signed by the President, and really, how did they cover it? So when they were covering that after the Senate passed it, Immediately, they started with oppositions of the act, and they started showing pressure to Donald Trump. So they looked at it as a negative, and here's what the opposition has to say. And I found that very fascinating to me. Current coverage with Joe Biden as president went nearly a minute and uh, one minute, 20 seconds before even bringing criticism of the bill. And then when it's something from Donald Trump, they do it second four, four seconds into the story. It was immediate. I mean, they couldn't even say the passage of it before they started the criticism of it. And I found that really fascinating. I think there's a lot of examples of that. And I'll play it for you so you can hear it maybe a little bit later in the show. As I mentioned, a friend of mine from Bankrate.com, Mark Hamrick, is going to join us on the passing of the Inflation Reduction Act, what he has to say about it. What does that mean for our economy moving forward? Is there immediate benefits? Is it a long-term play? Because a lot of the funding is over 10 years. We'll ask him about that coming up after the break. I'm Ryan Recker on WTMJ. Hey, welcome back. I'm Ryan Recker on WTMJ. We're at the Wisconsin State Fair. A lot to look at and a lot of happy people enjoying themselves by funnel cakes or cream puffs or maybe some of the rides and over the weekend it was one of those moments where senate worked for once over the weekend and they passed the big bill that will probably go down as president joe biden's biggest accomplishment over the past year and a half or so they call it the inflation reduction act and there's a lot to it that's really has nothing to do with inflation, so what will the impact to the economy be? Joining us now from Bankrate.com, Mark Hamrick, good morning.
1: Hello, Ryan. Good morning, sir.
3: Well, I guess it's not so much morning anymore, but I decided to take a quick peek at the Dow Jones. It looks like the markets, for the most part, are reacting positively whenever the government's about to spend a lot of money. It seems like that excites investors.
1: Oh, I don't really think that's that big of an uh, influence on the market. We've had the key uh, averages bouncing off of their recent lows uh, and really raising the question whether uh, we are perhaps entering a new bull market. But I would hasten to add that some of the biggest bounces we have in the stock market do occur within bear markets. But certainly there are individual issues, such as energy stocks, so those that are related to electric vehicle production, they're obviously uh, favored here. Uh, there are probably some negative consequences, for example, for some of the drug makers, given the fact that one aspect of this bill involves the opportunity to negotiate drug prices for uh, Medicare. But, uh, you know, this is a, a, a wide-ranging measure. Uh, many of the impacts won't necessarily be seen fully for a number of years, and uh, obviously there's a lot packed in there.
3: Right, and when they use the term inflation reduction, they look at this over a long-term period, and there have been people independently researching this, and they bring up the point that really it should have no uh, impact on inflation, and that's to try to sugarcoat it a little bit. It actually could have some negative reaction over a long period of time. Have you had a chance to look through this and given it some thought?
1: Sure, uh, well, I, you know, as one who is, uh, grounded in journalism, uh, you know, you never want to accept the verbiage of, uh, those that you're covering or using as sources and rather employ your own. And so that's what they sought to name the measure. But there are some things that do have, uh, longer term impacts on inflation. It would reduce the deficit by $305 billion, reduces net spending by $15 billion through 20, 20- 21. um would reduce the national debt by $2 trillion. Those are things that are important and have implications for inflation in the long term. And, you know, one of the unspoken, I would say, or little notice sins of the behavior of elected officials in Washington is that they have allowed essentially fiscal issues to go untended largely for years now. So this does sort of interrupt at least that uh, trend or error but we know that uh, there are major issues uh, continuing to loom with respect to funding the Social Security and Medicare that are uh, essentially unrelated to this elsewhere uh, in the in the measure um, along alongside the deficit reduction um, impact uh, there is this prescription drug price component and the thing that I think Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia would uh, point to and probably be proudest of, at least himself is that not only does it uh, have implications for um, the transition to electric vehicles, but it also seeks to sort of stem uh, the trend, or I should say probably do a better job of managing the transition through the current, uh, sources of fuel and energy that we have, as well as looking to encourage uh, so-called green uh, sources of energy or renewables. So, um, you know, I think there's been uh, an acknowledgement, particularly since Russia's uh, war against Ukraine, that um, for better or for worse, and there's uh, an argument to be made that it's for worse with respect to climate, that we're going to have to be reliant on fossil fuels for some time until all these sources become more plentiful and, uh, and more sustainable. And, and so I think it, it intends to sort of uh, bridge that gap, which, you know, that was one of the major criticisms of the Biden administration was there, that there has not been an acknowledgement of the need to do that
3: so part of this is the tax credits for electric vehicles you can get a used electric vehicle you can get a new electric vehicle you actually can get some tax credits for that starting somewhat soon and immediately I thought about the cash for clunkers because the idea was let's get some of these gas guzzlers off the road and if you upgrade to something more efficient then we'll give you a big tax credit for it and a lot of people took advantage of it but ultimately they looked back and said it didn't really have much of an impact that they thought it would so looking at the policy, a lot of it is climate related. I understand that they're giving money to education to try to help schools, businesses and things like that. I even saw that money can go to buying electric school buses if they wanted to. So there's a pretty wide reaching effect that this money could be used and of course the Affordable Care Act expansion of that. They're looking at spending over 10 years. I mean this is a lot of money that's going to be infused by the government and one of the things that a lot of people are a little upset about is spending billions of dollars over 10 years to hire more IRS agents. So the enforcement side of this, in order to offset the, uh, the deficit and the spending that's going for, it sounds like it's just a lot of more taxation.
1: Well, uh, it doesn't raise taxes uh, on uh, anyone under $400,000 a year in income, uh, but it does intend to force uh, corporations to pay um, taxes where they're escaping that now. And a number of companies that have been identified lease on Wall Street include Tesla and Ford. And then the question to be raised, do you think they should not have to pay taxes to the federal government? Uh, in terms of the EVs, it looks like that transition in terms of really utilizing that tax credit is not really going to be that beneficial in the near term, because one of the aspects of the law intends to require the sourcing of the technology for the vehicles from within the United States. And I think we'd all agree that, that you know, broadly should be a good thing. Uh, but it also may inhibit uh, the opportunity for people to use it. There are also limits that include a um, uh, $55,000 uh, price tag limit on a car and an $80,000 SUV. Those those are pretty high prices. But also um, uh, families making $300,000 or more, which is obviously a pretty high level of income, they are not eligible to get it as well. I mean, obviously, the major issue with EVs right now is that this is really sort of a burgeoning marketplace, meaning there's not a widespread availability of kinds of vehicles. There's a a lack of less expensive vehicles uh, available to prospective buyers. And of course, the supply chain disruptions with semiconductors has inhibited uh, auto production mightily. But I think over the next couple of years, and this I think this goes through maybe five to seven years from now, over the next few years there's going to be a tremendous opportunity for Americans who want to buy an EV to do so and to the degree that that tax credit would be applied to any of those vehicles uh obviously that can help them uh it'd be curious to see whether perhaps the auto manufacturers might actually raise their prices in reaction to the credit still try to stay <laughs> under that under that ceiling uh but um you know I think it's been broadly um commented about in recent times that once the once and if the semiconductor and other component shortage is addressed, there probably is going to be a flood of vehicles come to the market. And that could actually have a dampening impact on prices because there may, at that point, and people would welcome it, be essentially more vehicles available than might be demand for that. And, and uh, you know that should have uh, a positive impact on prices where that's been a major contributor to inflation over the past year or so.
3: Great. Mark Hamrick from BankRate.com. I'm sure they can read your work. Just go to BankRate.com.
1: That's where we work, for sure. Thanks so much, Ryan. I appreciate it. <laughs> that you. easy enough.
3: <laughs> Mark Hamrick joining us here, and thank you so much for joining us, too. Uh, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, if you want to call in, 855-616-1620. Be nice to hear from you here today on this Monday, day five of the Wisconsin State Fair. I'm Ryan Recker on WTMJ. Really happy to have Mark on the show there. What a nice day to be at the fair with the cloud coverage. It may look a little gloomy, but it also means the temperatures are not as hot. If you made it to the state fair this weekend, you went home sweaty. I don't know if you'll go home sweaty this morning. So, pleasure to be with you. I'm Ryan Recker, at Ryan Recker on Twitter. Ryan Recker Radio, you can find me on there WTMJ is broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair and thanks to the Coakley Brothers and Brothers Interiors the State Fair Studio has a brand new look, you can come by and say hi I guess they upgraded part of the carpeting and such Steve was telling me that the carpeting used to be this orange red, I wish I could have seen that I love the retro stuff, but it also came with its 40-year-old smell. So now everything's all nice. I get here, and they're rolling out the red carpet for me. It's beautiful. So big thanks to them, and you can come by and say hi at the studio. We'd love to wave at you through the glass and give a thumbs up. That's the only finger I want to see as we are here at the State Fair. I wanted to put on my tinfoil hat for just a moment, and I'm sorry that Again, I don't necessarily believe in a lot of these conspiracy theories. And this one really isn't a conspiracy theory, but it's going to sound like one. But I wanted to point to a story that's happening over in England, to the United Kingdom, I should say. A 12-year-old boy was comatose, and the parents were doing everything they could to save their child's life. 12-year-old boy. Doctors said it was unlikely that he would be able to recover. Unlikely. I don't know if you've been in a situation where the doctors tell you grim diagnostics and they say it doesn't look good. Very unlikely you have uh, six months to live and then the person ends up living 60 years. Or let's say the person's in a hospital bed and things are looking bad and then they turn around and are doing great. These are all stories that I think we hear and cheer about. It's not something they give you an option for in the United Kingdom. Part of their system, and since they are paying for everyone's health care, is that if doctors in a panel of experts agree with the doctors, which say, well, no chance of recovery, then they pull the plug on that patient, regardless if the parents want to continue to fight and try to save their child's life. This 12-year-old died in a London hospital around noon, about two hours after they pulled the plug off of life support. The parents said, I want to do everything I can. We, we will pay. We'll take the kids to the United States. These are all options that they look at and say, just let us please, please try. And the panel says it's not humane to try when we disagree with you. And you, as a parent, have no rights If the panel says we are going to take control of this 12 year old, be it your child or not, because when they're paying the tab, that's the rules. And this is something I think we should do our best to try to avoid here in the United States the best we could when they talk about Medicare, Medicaid expansion, the Affordable Care Act expansion and making it only affordable for those that are on it. I think eventually what they're going to say is, we are. you know what, let's just expand this further. We'll just allow anyone that wants on it, and then, of course, that'll crash the system. And the only logical thing you can do is to jump on the government's dime and allow them to take care of it. And when they take care of it, they pick the rules. And I wouldn't put it past this type of system happening in places like the United States, as sad as it is. In the United Kingdom, they're sophisticated. We're not talking about, you know, some third world country. Where, ah, it's just, you know, it's too bad. That's just the way things go. I mean, we're looking at a system that could very well, something we mimic in the way that they set these policies. The individual freedoms and things are not as welcome in places like that. Sure, we have the Constitution, but still, it does bring me some issues and some reserve in the future. All right, we'll take some of your calls after the break. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. I see we have a few line uh, people on the line. We will get to you in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. We're going to take some of your calls on WTMJ. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is 855-616-1620. I'm your guest host, Ryan Recker, filling in for Jeff Wagner. At the Wisconsin State Fair. Ooh, it smells good out here. Let's go to Sam. Welcome to WTMJ. Hello, Sam. Go ahead.
0: How you doing? Thanks for having me on. Mm -hmm. This started out as Build Back Better, and then they renamed it the Inflation Reduction Act because they knew it wasn't selling very well. So that turns it into a shell game right there. They're going to spend money like there's no tomorrow. But then they're going to turn around and say, we're going to make all this money back. That, that is a shell game if I've never seen one in my life. Just, you know, all this inflation is a product of years and years of government spending. You, you want to go to the Bushes, the Clintons, the Obamas. They have just been spending money like there's no tomorrow. We knew this was going to come, and the whole process was accelerated uh, dramatically when Biden decided to shut down the oil spigot. So now the answer to all of it is raise the interest rates, slow down the economy some more, because that's going to hurt your housing market, that's going to hurt your auto market. But if you buy an EV, we'll give you a tax credit, that'll raise the national debt. Where the electricity is going to come from to power these cars, they still haven't figured that out. So what we're going to do is go deeper and deeper into debt so we can finance China's rise, because they already already have the market cornered on solar panels, car batteries, and mm-hmm. I don't see any way out of that. They haven't explained any of that. So this is just a big uh, shell game. And it's just... Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, let me
3: mention what um, I think is proof of that. And when you listen to some of the Democratic leaders like Chuck Schumer or any of them that are talking about it right now, Nancy Pelosi or Joe Biden, you'll notice that the first thing they bring up is climate, not really the deficit or inflation itself. So considering that the namesake of the bill isn't even being talked about shows you, yeah, they they are playing games here with this title.
0: Yeah, you know, put the peanut under the shell, see if you can find it. We know it's there somewhere, but they're moving it around. And, you you know, your your previous guess you had on that guy from the banking industry. I mean, there's so much more you could touch on with this. And and it's so complicated. Even someone like himself could only hit on a few points in the bill. And, of course, they spread it out over 10 years, so it makes it almost impossible for anybody to even get a grasp on what this is really going to do. Over that 10 year period. But the bottom line is, is the government is spending money and they're spending ungodly amounts of money. And that's what drives the inflation. And if you don't get this energy thing fixed, Ryan, I don't see no end to this inflation here. Explain it. Nobody
3: can. I got it. All right. Sounds good, Sam. Thank you very much for the call. But let me point out when you're talking about health care. The Affordable Care Act or prescription drugs, whatever it may be, how often do the projections match what they actually spend? Honestly, have you ever once found yourself as an individual going in for a procedure and it matches towards the end? Or do they always tack something else on? There's this or that, blah, blah, blah. When you're talking about things like the Affordable Care Act and the uncertainty of Health care for American people. You're also talking about the potential of more people getting into the system. Much like Obamacare, they found out that the big increases were people signing up for Medicare, Medicaid that they didn't realize they qualified. You know, it wasn't necessarily trying to get people a different alternative insurance source. It was them finding out they qualified for something they could have got already. And that was a big win, you know, getting a lot of people onto the. The government role that way so with the expansion there and prescription drugs whatever monitoring these things so how does that pan out over 10 years do you think that's going to hit budget i doubt it <laughs> because it never does let's go to will welcome to wtmj hello yeah,
4: hello ryan hey i would be insulted if i was the guest who was just on. Uh, he made some very good points, and it's almost sounded like it surprised you. Uh, one of the points that he made is that if you're not making $400,000 a year, you're not going to be taxed. So that took off the right wing. Uh, it's a tax and, sp- uh, and spend bill uh, that took off that talking point. He also mentioned, as it relates to deficit reduction, that, no, it's not going to be a short-term, but it will be a long-term. Uh, obviously, if prescription drugs are going down uh, based on the law, obviously um, uh, that is going to cause prices to go down. Overall, long-term, inflation reduction. And the third thing that he identified was, as relates to the uh to, uh, incentives on the electronic cars, and how Manchin basically, um, you know, saved the bill because it truly was uh, a ability to transition from the current coal uh, um, and, and, and fossil fuels to over to, to the new. Sounded like that particular guest, who I listened to 620 because the guests are great in terms of financial, he sounded like he, huh, overall, this is a pretty good bill. Sound like you were a little surprised, and then you get a guess on. I wouldn't say that,
3: but no, no, no. Hold on, I'll rebut that. But I brought him on because he's a friend of mine, and I respect his opinion. I've had him on many times my radio show when I was in St. Louis. So let me just, no, hold on hold on a second. But I'm saying that I like to bring people on that bring a, set, a certain expertise, so it's not like him coming on saying those things shocks me, like, oh, I can't believe he said these things. It's just listening to his opinion, a, a very well-educated opinion on that. It's not like I ha- I look at that negatively by any means. But I would counter, when it comes to the $400,000 threshold, is when you add all of these different IRS agents into the mix, you know they're not going to be targeted. Targeting Those with incomes over 400,000. So now you're going to be putting a burden on those under 400, 300, 200, oh, under $100,000 through these excessive IRS agent intrusions into your life. I would say that is probably the most likely scenario for spending that extra money on the IRS. So it does impact people making less than $400,000.
4: That 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 is a talking point in which the right would like for that to occur. That you you have no. Oh
3: no no I don't I don't think anyone that wants that. No no one I know wants the IRS in their life. <laughs> I'm just saying. But thank you very much for the call. Uh, Yeah, no, I I know what you're saying. I understand that. But it's not just talking points. These are independent agencies that are making these exact same points. Nonpartisan, independent agencies. And it's not like these are unlikely scenarios. Do you really think the IRS is going to say, well, you make less than $400,000, you're hands off? (laughs) No! You know you're going to get harassed by them. And it should be scary to a lot of different people. We'll take some more of your calls. It scares me. I I want nothing to do with the IRS in my life, honestly. But when you spend... $80 billion to add more agents over 10 years, you know what's going to happen, all right? Logically speaking, they're not going after the rich. And because, well, there's less rich, we'll just put it that way. Proportionally speaking, you know that percentage-wise, they're going to have to go after those that are making incomes like you and me, well under the $400,000. 855-616-1620 is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm Ryan Recker on WTMJ. From the Wisconsin State Fair, I'm Ryan Recker in the beautiful WTMJ Studios. Hello to all. I enjoy waving while we have the opportunity, and anyone that may be standing and watching, hello to you as well. Let's take some more of your calls. We're discussing the Senate this weekend, addressing inflation with the act, uh, what's uh, 800 billion roughly, and I'm going to say that by when all is said and done, it's never what they tell you it's going to be. So I'm just going to put this up to a trillion and call it a day to try to make up for what I know is going to be more spending than what they're anticipating. Let's go to David. Welcome to WTMJ. Go ahead.
2: Hi, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, And the reason being, because we know at the end of the day, what's being promised in here and according to the cbo it clearly stated along and i told you your call screener uh with the uh, you know some of the leading economists i think it was over 230 of them this does nothing to address inflation whatsoever let's make that clear it's just a they threw it out there to make the bill sound like it's uh, you know halfway decent uh, and a lot of people are not even going to bother reading the bill let's be honest and you know, at yeah. the end of the day, uh, to your point with increasing the IRS enforcement, rather than doing that, we should be simplifying the tax code rather than hiring almost you know, essentially a hundred thousand IRS agents almost. And you know, your your point with you know hitting uh, smaller people, of course, that's what it is. I mean, if, if and people don't realize when you get audited and you get um, a, a letter from the IRS. Sometimes it can take a tremendous amount of time and it's a lot of work. And you can take your, depending on your situation, um, I think you would realize, Brian, that uh, you can take it to 10 different accountants and they may come up Mm -hmm. with 10 different outcomes for you. And the reason being because the, the tax code is that complex, unfortunately. And. You're right. And you know,
3: being able to simplify it was going to be one of the big rallying cries there for a while. And you're negligible at best when hitting inflation. And even so, that has to be everything plays out the way they say it's going to play out. But when it comes to government spending, how often does that happen? One other thing that you brought up that I think is important to address with the IRS is so many different people that are working independently. Some of them call it side hustle. Some of them look at it as a way to work for themselves. And I've been talking to a lot of uber drivers because that's what i use to get to the radio station and back since i don't have a car while i'm visiting and i talk to them and i say uh you know what do you think about this they're not happy and there's a few things to it because think about this when you're covering your whole books it's different when you're getting paid by an employer and they're just automatically taking taxes out then that's one thing that's easy but when you're working for yourself and you're getting money by third party and they don't count you as an employee now all, all of a sudden you forget to file one tip I mean, the IRS could audit you for that. And you're, that's scary. Considering that they're going to go after people probably making less than 50000 a year, working independently in these third-party jobs, trying to scrape things by and harassing them because something wasn't reported the right way. And you can think, okay, the IRS is trying to recover $1,000 from them because they put something on the paper wrong. Is that really how you want to spend the IRS's time, harassing people over a grand? They're making fifty grand a year? That's, that's not a good use of time. And it's just going to... Pound the average day person. I really see that happening.
2: Yeah, and and the other thing is this: the 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 other point with the you know the climate change and all that other stuff. There's so many subsidies being given towards the electric vehicles, both new and used. And you look at the price of the vehicle itself, an electric vehicle. It's way more expensive expensive than a combustion engine. So essentially, when they say, "Well, listen, you know, we're you know we're against wealthy people," well, look at the amount of money that's going to be spent towards buying these expensive cars that people—let's uh, be honest—they're not usually poor buying a Tesla or you know any other uh, car that's equivalent to that. And so it's it's just astounding to me that you really have this idea of you know, okay, well we're going to do this, we're going to do that. At the end of the day, it's it's really it's your money, and it's being taken from this person to that person, and it, it's just a never-ending uh, mess right. of, of you know yep. transferring the money. It really is.
3: Got it. We got to go to break. Thank you very much for the call, David. But part of this is base. I called it cash for clunkers 2.0, but you can get a four thousand dollar tax credit for a used electric vehicle, or a seventy five hundred dollar tax credit if you buy a new electric vehicle. That's part of the subsidies that are in there to encourage you to get an electric vehicle. Now keep in mind even if it was let's say it was 10 grand, would you rather buy a $60,000 vehicle and get 10 grand off or would you rather buy a $30,000 vehicle because you're still ultimately going to be spending less with the 30, but then you got to factor in all these other things too. Uh, there's there's a lot of factor points that go into it that really need to be discussed. We'll take some more of your calls coming up after the break on WTMJ. One last point about this used electric vehicle subsidies essentially the tax credits four thousand for a used electric vehicle seventy five hundred for a new let's say the government came out and said this is what we'll do if you're an adult 18 or over we want to encourage you to buy an electric vehicle so we're just going to give you four grand we'll just give you four grand and we hope that it's so enticing that you'll go out and buy an electric vehicle how many people do you think would spend that four grand on an electric vehicle uh, very few. I think probably less than 5% of the people that receive the money. And that should be an indication of trying to force the hand. Maybe you don't force the hand. Maybe the demand's not there yet. Maybe you find better ways to try to address some of the climate issues, if that's how you see this bill going. Scott, welcome to WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, hello, how are you? Go well, I think ahead. there's a, a credibility problem with uh, with the uh, Joe Biden and the
0: Democrats. They said a year ago, no, 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 there's not going to be an inflation. It's only transitory. They said, no, 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 there's no Americans that will be left behind in Afghanistan. They said, no, 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 Joe Biden is going to shut down COVID, not the economy. They said, no, 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 it will be safer on the streets of America by defunding the police. This will do nothing to fight inflation, and there's zero credibility on anything
3: anything that, that Joe Biden or the Democrats say. Okay, thank you very much for the call, Scott. Right to the point. Let's, you know, I, I'll give some credit to Joe Biden. At least he wasn't one screaming to defund the police. So I'll, I'll give him credit on that. But a lot of people in his party find that very appealing. I think it's despicable, honestly, and quite dangerous for the citizens of any large city or any city whatsoever when you start flirting with that idea. It always goes wrong. Negligible at best when it comes to fighting inflation. And you're right, if you can't define it, <laughs> then how are you going to? Fight it, please, when it comes to the recession. So we got a lot to get to on the show. In fact, I'm here for the next couple of hours. I posted a mystery photo up on my Facebook and Twitter page. If you find me on Facebook, Ryan Recker Radio, I want you to guess what this mystery photo is. And I'll give you a clue. It has something to do with Wisconsin And it has something to do with the surroundings I'm in right now. Hopefully you can guess what that mystery photo is. By the way, created completely by artificial intelligence. A computer created this thing. Not a human being. Really amazing. So we'll uh, get to that and more fair talk coming up. I'm Ryan Recker on WTMJ.
2: The Wisconsin State Fair is here, bringing you the sights and sounds live from the fair. In for Jeff Wagner, here's your host, Ryan Recker.
3: These are some great text messages. Last text message that came in. Cheese? With a question mark. Cheese? <laughs> well, sure, why not? Wisconsin's radio station broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. And our team working hard in our mobile studios. Eating at Major Goldsby's Heartland, located right next to the Cream Puff Pavilion. You can also check out Major Goldsby's downtown, dangerously close to the Deer District. And I think I'm going to have a chicken sandwich on the way with some french fries. Sounds very good. Great text messages on the text line right now. When you want to call in and talk on the show, it's the Acunet. Mortgage Talk and Text Line 855-616-1620. A couple of text messages. Ryan, are they going to give companies um, tax credits to buy electric trucks, electric semi-truck forklifts, unfortunately they passed the bill too quickly without taking into account the rest of the rolling economy? I you know, I think they can. Now keep in mind the thing is like seven hundred and fifty pages long and I haven't looked and read through the whole thing. But when they talk about some of the funding to schools, they say they can use some of that funding and use some of the tax incentives for things like electric school buses and it's really shocking to me to think that you know some cities have electric buses some schools i guess supposedly have electric school buses but then i thought the amount of money it takes to buy an electric school bus and then every year the teachers are saying they can't get supplies bought for them they they need pens and they need notebooks and they need erasers and markers and they're asking all their friends hey can you help me underwrite some of these costs and then the School's going to go buy an electric school bus? Yeah, right. I think they could probably use some of that money more efficiently. They don't have to force the hand to the electric side. But that's the way that this one goes. Electric, uh, let's see, batteries are still repowered by electricity from coal fired power plants. True. Now, the effect that this will have on the grid is an important one. So keep in mind, just like solar, if it's cloudy like it is in Milwaukee right now today, you're not going to get a whole lot out of your solar panels. You can't rely specifically on those solar panels on days like this. So there's a couple of things you can do. There could be a generator situation. You could rely off the grid, meaning you're still hooked up to the electricity and just draw from that. Maybe there's a battery situation in the future where you power a battery when you're not using as much electricity, and then you could use off of that battery. And that's kind of that mentality that systems used in a lot of different places. Now, if you're creating an excess amount of electricity, it goes into the system, and essentially you create a credit into the system for what you would draw from in the future. Now, when you have solar panels become more efficient in the future, this could be something worthwhile. But we're not talking about that. If we're talking about today, if you're buying an electric vehicle and you're plugging it in at your home and you're spending the extra 1000 $2,000 to put one of those different converters into your house, then think about this. What if the power goes out? But think about this, too. What if everyone is plugging their car in? Let's say this is widely successful. Then that also puts a burden onto the grid. Can the grid handle that excess of electricity that they're talking about? And we find that in places like Texas and California, the answer is no, it cannot. You have outages, brownouts, and that is going to affect a lot of people, too. So these are real practical things that we need to work through that this bill does not address. So that's important to point out. Uh, When we come back from the break, I saw this one story in the paper, JS Online. Federal complaint accuses Milwaukee of creating containment zones where low-income people are concentrated. And we see this in major cities, in some areas, as opposed to homeless tent encampments. They have certain areas designated, and some people don't like that. In this case, there is a complaint, a federal complaint, that could be drawn out through the courts, and we're going to discuss that coming up after the break. I'm Ryan Recker on WTMJ. I enjoyed my time in Milwaukee this weekend, and by enjoying my time, I basically left the hotel room to eat and then went back to the hotel room. But I did get to see a lot in Milwaukee. Maybe I'll talk about a few of the things I witnessed downtown this weekend, maybe later this hour. And I wanted to get to this one story. JS Online, a federal complaint accuses Milwaukee of creating containment zones where low-income people are concentrated. I can't say this is extremely unique to the city of Milwaukee. It seems like when you have affordable housing, government-subsidized housing, that you find that in certain areas that's where it's more popular. And there's a few different reasons for it. Sometimes it's that the aldermen or the councilmen and women, whoever, find that it's easier to keep them in a certain area. Maybe it's political, as in some people don't want them in their neighborhood. They don't want to have to look at a halfway house or uh, government-subsidized areas that are more susceptible to crime, perhaps, next door to them, or whatever high-rise luxury condo situation they are in downtown. There's going to be areas that naturally just um, seem to make the right fit. And I get that. And here's, here's something else I get. If you're going to be able to provide these areas to people, they should be safe. They shouldn't be loaded with roaches. They shouldn't be bowing at the wall. I get that. And there's the other side to it. And I'm more inclined to look at this side, too. If we are today talking about a society that agrees, and a lot of people do, that Housing is a universal basic right of an individual, meaning that you have the right to have a roof over your head. And if you can't afford that, the government will pay for it, is one that a lot of people are finding is gaining steam. And this is becoming a little bit more dangerous because the caveat is, if, let's say, the government does provide this for you, then the person says, then I get to pick the conditions that we stand on, meaning that, if I don't find this to be fit, I'm allowed to live wherever I want, and this should be guaranteed by the government. And that's not the case, and that shouldn't be the case. I think it's great that as a country we are compassionate and we want to take care of people who are poor. And we do that in a lot of different ways. Medical care is taken care of. If you're poor, elderly, unable to take care of yourself. If you're disabled and unable to work, you do have income, so you don't starve to death. We have other Government services, we have other great charities. There's a lot of things taken care of for people that need it. And this is the generosity of America. We are able to do these things. Housing is one of them, if it's low income in a lot of different ways. But I find that where we start to get... Into the weeds now is that people that apply for these programs believe that it gives them the right to live wherever they want to. If they don't like a certain area, then their right is to live wherever else they want. And I think this is where you find people labeling areas as containment zones are wrong. And there's a reason that when you say containment zones is that the government only has limited resources to pay for these things, and they can't spread them out everywhere And they find it more economical to look for certain areas to put this in. And it shouldn't be a surprise to you that when certain low-income housing come in, then the values of the other neighborhoods or the buildings, the living areas, normally go down. And we're just saying this generally speaking. It's not always like this, but generally speaking. So this is why you find a lot of people say, I don't want my home value to go down. I don't want my apartment value to go down. I don't want the value of my business building or whatever it is going down. So this is why they find some issues with it. So you have an incentive to try to make sure these places don't turn into slums, because then everything else goes down with it. The government has a lot of obligations here. And it's a very complicated and really delicate thing. But then I go back to this complaint, a federal complaint, saying that one of the buildings that are in Milwaukee right now, a Milwaukee private owner, accuses the city of containment zones of people living in poverty and with disabilities. On its surface area, on the surface, I would look at that and say, um, there's nothing wrong with putting a certain area and designating it for low income, just because that's how government works. You, You don't have an endless amount of resources as a city. And it'll bankrupt you to try to satisfy everyone in this situation. But then I go a little bit further in the article, and I realize that some of the housing that they're discussing has walls bowing in, stone walls bowing in. That's a big no-no. Because now you're talking about people could literally get hurt living in a situation like this. You can't have them living in roach-infested places. We we should have standards, and we sh- it should be humane. And we are more sympathetic to that. But i got to tell you... Uh, I can see both sides on this one. You can go check out that article. I just thought I would point it out. Every city is dealing with this, and this is what you find, too. Some people have no ambition to better themselves, and this is perfectly fine for them. This is what they want, because they're happy. I, I think there's a certain amount of that that goes on, and then there's a lot of people unhappy with it, and I think that should hopefully be the motivation to get them to want to do more with themselves and to better themselves and find a better situation. There's no real guarantee to say that, okay you can move outside of the city and get better accommodations, then go do that if you want to better yourself. Then don't pick that one place, if you have a voucher, that allows for you to go anywhere else. Go do that instead. You have that ability. And there's definitely charities that'll help you move. You have to take advantage of these things and just be smart. Maybe in a lot of ways, it's just laying out the resources and options that people have, so they don't have to live within that if that's what they're unhappy with, as opposed to going through the lawsuits. That could be, it seems more pragmatic that way. I'm Ryan Recker. You're listening to WTMJ. Let me tell you what it was like walking around downtown Milwaukee this weekend. It was hot. (laughs) If you came to the fair, you realized that you brought something home with you that you didn't pay for, which was a lot of uh, sweat-soaked clothing. But you probably had a good time. And we just had a nice food delivery from Major Goldsby's Heartland, located right next to the Cream Puff Pavilion. Major Goldsby's downtown, dangerously close to the Deer District. I'm trying some of their fries right now. They are unbelievably good. Mm, good thanks to them. I look forward to uh, trying that sandwich during the next break. And i, I got to say, it's it's what a nice opportunity to be part of these downtown studios and air conditioning, looking around at all the great people having fun at the Wisconsin State Fair. But as I was walking around, I noticed a few things about Milwaukee, and I thought it would point this out. For the most part, I was looking to get souvenirs for my family, and I didn't really know where to go to get souvenirs. I mean, there's some stores and things, and I thought, my son might enjoy a George Weber shirt, but they don't sell shirts. You know, I'm not going to give him a coffee mug. He's seven. He's not drinking coffee. I can't see him drinking hot chocolate out of that either. But he just, you know, I found a place that was selling some, like, Milwaukee-themed shirts, and that was pretty cool. I enjoyed just um, going around and just seeing what people were doing and saying, listening to them as I was waiting for the walk symbol to come up at the crosswalks. There were some people that were trying to hand out pamphlets. I ended up talking to this one guy about... God, because he wanted to talk about what the pamphlet said, because the guy tried to give him a pamphlet. This was a different person. So like a third-party account of us both encountering the guy with the pamphlets. That was kind of interesting as we were waiting for the bridge to go down. And by the way, how many boats go under those bridges? Every five minutes or so, it seems like that bridge was up, blocking your walk through downtown downtown. Man, you must get caught by a lot of those boats. I saw protests. There was a protest rolling down, I think, on Saturday night. And I have no idea what they were protesting. They were just down on Wisconsin. And there may be 50 to 75 people protesting something. I couldn't quite tell what it was. But then again, I didn't go check it out. And then I was stopped by a homeless man. Let me um, tell you about this one encounter. And I, I found this one a little bit fascinating because I... Stopped for a coffee, met up with a friend, and when I was leaving, man in a wheelchair with one leg came up to me and said, Hey, I need some money for the bus, which is, you know, something that a lot of homeless people say. I mean, that's like a common thing. And then he's like, I'm wearing a diaper, and he showed me that he was wearing an adult diaper. That was a first for me. And my main way of handling situations like that is I, I tell them, I can't give you any money, but I'll pray with you if you'd like. So, I did. You know, I prayed with the homeless guy. But I don't think that satisfied him. Because as I walked away, he kept trying to ask for money. And I made it pretty clear, sorry, I'm not giving you any money. Then I saw online, have you seen these signs across Milwaukee, keep the change, don't support panhandling, give to a local charity. These signs are in certain areas, and basically they're on polls. you think that they would be, like, don't park here signs, uh, you know, street cleaning schedules, things like that, or speed limits. But instead, it just says, keep the change. And what it shows is a person wearing what looks like a cuff. So I'm guessing a business shirt. And it shows them holding a coin about to drop into someone's hand. And there's the big red Ghostbuster symbol where you have the circle with the line right down the middle. Don't support panhandling. Give to a local charity. Even though I was only asked for money once during that time, that was the only encounter I had all weekend. And, I, I mean, I've been here for about a week and have not seen any of that anywhere else. Is panhandling a big deal in Milwaukee still? Is it? Have you seen less of it? Let me tell you about um, a case that was interesting in St. Louis, where a panhandler was ticketed by the St. Louis police. And they took it to court and won because they argued panhandling is protected by the First Amendment of the Constitution. And you know what he said? I have the free speech ability to ask people for money. And because I have a free speech and I can ask someone for money, it gives them no obligation to give me anything, but I'm allowed to ask them. And the courts agreed. Agreed. And rightfully so. It seems like a First Amendment issue. I think where you start to see the problems with panhandling is mostly when they start stepping into the streets. Aggressive panhandling. That happens too. But it's not like it's on every corner. I mean, for the most part, I was walking and enjoying myself and having no issues. Is it really an issue still? Do you find that maybe all the other problems that are in the city right now are just warping things like panhandling. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. I think when you open up the local news sources, and the headlines are, how many people were hurt last night? Here's where they got hurt. And I don't even want to really get into why they got hurt, and I think you can probably figure out, but it seems like a daily occurrence anymore. I think what you find is that people are more worried about the safety of themselves, that they don't want to be bothered by a stranger on the side of the road, and rightfully so. There's danger uh, and, and potential danger with that. Even though what I've found through my own experiences is that people, at least homeless people, really have... No threat level to me. I, for the most part, I have never felt threatened by a homeless person. and They pretty much keep to themselves, and then they go spend their money on something that you would never spend your money on, most likely. And that's it. That's why I say, uh, you know, I'm just not going to do it. I'll talk to you. I'll pray with you, but that's about it. And uh, for the most part, it hasn't gotten super aggressive in some areas, and I haven't experienced it for myself, but maybe you have. Is that what? Is this even a priority level that you find, trying to fight Panhandling, because when I again look at the headlines, shooting, 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 shooting—five people over the past seventy-five minutes. Highways everywhere. It's scary. That's the stuff that you want to address: violent crimes. You want to address some of the issues of criminals getting cycled back onto the streets. You don't want to have to deal with that. At least with the panhandling, you can. Eight five five six one six one six twenty is the number. Hope to hear from you. Couple of text messages coming in. Uh, yes, yes, yes. When it comes to panhandling, you just were not in the right place. Very aggressive, usually right off a of major freeway ramps. Maybe I'll pay closer attention when I'm in the Uber driving back to downtown later. I'll see if I can spot that, but I haven't seen it for myself. Oh, some corners they battle their uh, favorite corner. Sometimes they're organized, believe it or not. I've seen situations where they divvy up the corners and then meet back in. It's like they're organized, union-like, in a way. Uh, one person said, did you pray for him to grow his leg back? Could you imagine? What even made you think of that? <laughs> what? Why would that cross your mind? Come on. Here's another text message on panhandling. I drive for work to local businesses. Today I am on the south side, and I was asked for money three times. Yeah, call in with those experiences if you like. You know, tomorrow's going to be a really big night here in Wisconsin. Of course, in the Milwaukee area, there's some pretty big, um, the pretty big uh, voting that people are going to be watching. And what we're going to find right now is who's going to be the candidate to run for Senate for the GOP, uh, and governor, I should say, run for governor in the GOP, and I know that WTMJ is going to be covering a lot of this tomorrow night, and I think a lot of people are pretty pretty excited for it. I, I'm going to point out that how many people do you think only watch the attack ads, and that's how they base their entire impression of a candidate? The Guardian put out an article, said Democratic ads boosted extremists in Republican primaries. Was that wise? And I thought about that here, because I spend time watching local television, and I see a lot of ads, and I hear a lot of ads. How many of you turn on the TV and know that there's going to be at least two to three political ads served to you during that time, up until the primary and tomorrow, going through the polling? I think most people are going to go vote, and they're going to be just tired of it, and they're going to say, fine. This will take me up until the general election in a few months. But I'm tired of seeing the different ads, but they're so effective. Because you get this certain impression of someone after after it's just nailed into your head over and over and over and over again. And maybe the wrong ad is playing for a candidate. This is what the article argues. It argues that in the areas like Michigan and states that you find them hammering Republican candidates based on their affiliation with the former president, Donald Trump, that that makes more people want to vote for them because it's pointing out the fact that they got the endorsement from Donald Trump. There is a certain effect that a former president can have in an election, and those are somewhat important. Now, keep in mind, going back to the last election... Barack Obama didn't do a lot of endorsing before primaries, right? It was mostly the general election would go out and knowing that he was no longer the president, just kind of waited to see who that person was going to be without picking sides. You find that with other former presidents, once in a while they'll do that. Donald Trump's a little bit different. He goes out there in primaries, and you'll go out there and try to endorse certain people. And that seems to have a bump for that person. And he likes to brag when it does have a bump. But what we're finding is the alternative has been happening, too. I think that the savviness of a Donald Trump, knowing the media and the way that people cover him, knows that if he gets out there and endorses in a time when most former presidents will not endorse, that that's just another opportunity for that name to get out there even further. And it Gives him free publicity. The one thing the guy's good at is getting free publicity. And as they point out in this, they say that even attack ads that try to associate you with Donald Trump, or you as a candidate, I should say, with Donald Trump, works in favor of the candidate that's getting the support from Trump. Isn't that something? So if you use that as your campaign ad right now, and you've seen a lot of it on television, an awful lot of it on television, that it's going to have the reverse effect that you hope it will. So I'm hoping by the general election time we see less of it, because I'm just getting tired of it. So tired of it. Tell me you're not tired of it as well. I need a break from these political ads. Whew, it's exhausting. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in for Jeff Wagner and WTMJ. And welcome back. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in. And I wanted to point out that if you're watching the ads right now, you probably realize that it's got to be a pretty close race in the Republican primary race for governor right now. Rebecca Cleefish, Tim Michaels. Those are the two ads I see the most of. One after another. One after another. And sometimes you see the Donald Trump thing, sometimes you don't. Former Lieutenant Governor Cleefish has a slight lead over Michaels. It looks like 36% to 34% among Republicans with 14% still undecided. And that 14% is probably driving 100% of the revenue when it comes to those ads. And I'm just going to point this out, too. If you work in television or radio, you hear these ads a lot, and you think to yourself, this will be nice when it's settled. (laughs) So I'm sure tomorrow night on WTMJ, when they're reporting all of the different election results, there's going to be a lot of relief thinking, ah, at least we have a winner now. So if you're watching, knowing that Rebecca Cleefish at the moment has a slight lead, uh, it's it's tight. I mean, whenever you're talking about one- or two-point leads, it's super tight. Anything can happen tomorrow, I guess we'll see where that one goes. WTMJ Broadcasting Live from the Wisconsin State Fair, I'm Ryan Recker. Thanks to the Coakley Brothers and the Brothers Interiors, our State Fair studio has a brand-new look. Come out and say hi. And we got a lot of people that are walking around. And I'm, I'm just kind of looking to get an idea of what people are eating and drinking. And it seems like there's a lot of fried things and lemon shake-ups and stuff, which is always really cool. So it's at the Wisconsin State Fair. Come say hi to the WTMJ booth, where it's air-conditioned. And everything is nice. And I got French fries here, too. It's really nice. Let's uh, point out a couple of other things. Uh, This is kind of a sad story. There's so many different sad stories out there. Maybe I should point out I did something really nice this weekend. I probably watched two movies this weekend. That's the most movies I've watched over the course of a year, mostly because I was just stuck in a hotel room all weekend, and I missed my family. I miss seeing my kids. I miss, because you see the video on the screen, I had to find nice souvenirs for them, and I think I did well with the souvenirs. Maybe I'll post some photos of them online. So if you have any recommendations of things I should do before I leave town, because I'm here for tomorrow, doing a show for Jeff Wagner, Wednesday, doing a show for Jeff Wagner, and that's it. So if you got some things that I need to do, and being part of the fair is fun of it, uh, give me a message. I, I mean, I'll take that into consideration. Mostly it has to be downtown because I'm Ubering everywhere, and I'm cheap, so I want to be able to keep that price down. Okay, that was fun. Just for a second, because there's so much like stories that are hitting right now that really concern me, and one of which is the situation that we continue to see in Ukraine, and there's a new report out of Ukraine. Remember at the very onset of this, you had Russia... And Vladimir Putin go onto the screen and saying, okay, here's why we justify the invasion. He signs the papers or whatever, and the next thing you know, they start the invasion. What you immediately had was a reaction from the entire world saying, we do not see this as justification to enter the country of Ukraine. And immediately, you found that pretty much a united world went behind Ukraine. Outside of places like China or, you know, some of these ones that wanted to stay more uh, independent and not have to come up with a side. So when that happened, you found that the men stayed and then the women and children left the country knowing that they were going to be under attack. It first started on some of the border cities, the major border cities, and then moved further back. And then some of these other cities you found that people would stay. But, guys, you got to stay here and defend. And at the first part, they thought, look at how large Russia is. They've got resources, they've got money, they've got a military, they've got the tanks and the planes. This is going to take a week. And here we are, months and months and months later, and Ukraine is still standing. Though it is still fighting, but still standing. But I want to go back to what happened at the very beginning of it. You found that people hopped on trains, and they got out of the country as fast as they could. Places like Poland said, come on over. There's other countries, neighboring countries, that said, come on over. We'll take as many as we can. Even here in the United States, cities would say, if you can find a plane ticket, come on over. We'll take you in. And rightfully so. And it is justified to say that we were very welcoming and understanding of the situation. And uh, sympathetic to it. And we even saw people here in the United States go over to Ukraine to fight. All of these things happen. Here's what now they're finding in reports that are truly disturbing. As people were fleeing Ukraine, the war-torn country, about 200,000 children are feared to have gone missing. This breaks my heart. I I think about it as as a father, and I think about how difficult it would have been to say goodbye to my family as I fought for my country. Because that's the situation a lot of these fathers were in. You saw the videos of them crying as their wife and children were on a train leaving for safety. And you think to yourself, I may never see them again. Never in a million years would I think that part of that ride would mean that they're scooped up by another organization or cartel or whatever it is and sold and trafficked. I could never imagine that in a million years. But in the chaos and everything else that happened, experts believe that portions were forcibly removed and taken. And they fear upwards of 200,000 children have gone missing since the evasion five months ago. This is one of the worst stories I've read. And it's. it's I, I think about the resources and money that we're giving to Ukraine in order to try to help them. And. Maybe it's equipment, maybe it's missiles, maybe it's planes, whatever it is, expertise, training. Maybe it's trying to help them fortify. Maybe it's humanitarian, whatever it is. Um, I I keep thinking this is an endless money pit. We're going to be throwing money at them forever. But if someone were to tell me we're going to put something together to try to rescue these kids, I I would sign that on the dotted line any day because I just can't imagine the anguish that any family would go through being able to fight for their country and know that their loved ones were sold. I I just can't imagine that. And it also goes to show you how evil the world is. I mean, what an evil, evil world that someone would think of that as an opportunity to take advantage of women and children. I I just can't. It, it, It just breaks my heart. I'm Ryan Recker. You're listening to WTMJ. to make a confession. That confession was when I was working from home during the pandemic, I rarely wore dress pants, let alone jeans, so I ended up purchasing sweatpants that looked like jeans. So if I was ever on camera, or any of my co-workers could see me because I was on camera, it would make the appearance that I was wearing jeans, but really I was wearing sweatpants that looked like jeans. It was one of the smartest things I've ever done in my entire life. Just wanted to admit that. Malcolm Gladwell slams working from home. In the New York Post, they wrote about this, and the author is known as one of the intellectuals. He's a thinker, and you know, he's not a bad dude. But he came out and said, remote work is hurting society, and that a recession will likely drive employees who are sitting in their pajamas back into the office. Now, I take exception to that, because I liked working in my pajamas, and it was great! I mean, think about it. If you could be comfortable... Isn't that better than being uncomfortable? And I've actually seen to the point, and I'll, I'll talk about the Bill Maher piece next hour, where he was saying that sometimes people even buy, like, suits, and the bottom half of the suits are sweatpants that look like regular sh- suit pants. Now, I haven't got to that point yet. And I'll just tell you this, too. I am here at the WTMJ Studios at the Wisconsin State Fair, and I am not wearing sweatpants. So when I go out in public, I don't wear them. But, man, was that a great advantage to have. Do you think he's onto something, though? Working from home is basically the downfall of society. What And he's, he scolds you. What have you reduced your life to? So he's wrote a lot of different books. And, you know, he makes a point. He said that people want to be part of a team, but if you're working from home, you don't feel like you're part of a team. That's kind of a sad thing, isn't it? I would almost argue that people are more efficient at home. And for most people, that might even be a more fun lifestyle. I'll tell you what I enjoyed, not filling up my gas tank during that year. That was fantastic. Not having to worry about driving to work or putting mileage on the car. And I felt like I was able to do everything I needed to. The one thing I didn't have was companionship. You didn't have the people around you. But then again, the government was telling you not to have people around you. And they were giving you incentive not to have people around you. If they're now looking at this and saying that it was destructive, in that we need to get ourselves back into the office. Maybe they have to, part of it, recognize and maybe go back onto the record and say they made a huge mistake at the the start of this pandemic, and that mistake was trying to drive you away from everyone else. They kind of started this whole pattern now, didn't they? Gladwell's message would be likely received in some of these different areas um, where people are actually encouraged to work from home. You notice that big tech companies have taken advantage of movements like this, and they said, yeah, you can work from home. We're just going to slash your pay, and then people have to decide if they want to go into the office and deal with the small talk, the water cooler talk, or if they would actually want to stay at home. You're also finding that some places buildings are remaining vacant. It has had an economic downturn in that sense because people find that if they're not going to return to the office maybe they don't need an office so they just decide not to move and maybe it's finding that big city areas are not as appealing as the rural areas where it's more affordable you have better lifestyles and you can make your dollars stretch a little bit further for that sense Tech companies and financial giants are hesitant to force employees back into the office. Malcolm Gladwell says, do it anyway. Get them in there. What have you reduced your life to living in a hole? So he's basically making it sound like you're doomsday preppers for working from home. But at least you're working. That should be the right part. Not everyone's job can handle that sort of thing. You know, I, I found it very comfortable, and I really enjoyed it. Really did. But here I am, not working from home but I will in a couple of weeks. I know Steve has me filling in for him on August 25th and 6th, so I'll do that from my bunker in the basement, probably wearing sweatpants. But as of right now, WTMJ Broadcasting Live from the Wisconsin State Fair, and big thanks to the Coakley Brothers and Brothers Interiors, our state fair studio. Brand new. And I'm even looking at the carpeting on the floor, the walls, the windows. Everyone around really enjoying it. If I can tell you what it smells like in here, I'm telling you, it's not as good as outside in the state fair. There's so many good fry food smells for you to enjoy now the smells are free i would encourage you to get something to eat while you're out here too. get something like a lemon shake-up to go with it but you have so many great options hopefully you can make it out and this might be the perfect day to make it out because the cloud coverage means it's not as hot and you're not going to be sweating like crazy if you were here this weekend you took home some sweat with you you know that to be true so enjoy it while it's a nice cloudy day in that sense at the wisconsin state fair We have another hour coming up. I'm Ryan Recker. If you want to join the show, you can at 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620 on the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line on WTMJ.
2: The Wisconsin State Fair is here, bringing you the sights and sounds live from the fair. In for Jeff Wagner, here's your host, Ryan Recker.
3: Oh, so happy to be here. I just put down a chicken sandwich. It was delicious. And if anyone wants me to autograph their cream puff, I will. But I'll tell you this. I only autograph with my mouth, which means I'm going to eat your cream puff. It's just one of those days. It's just a perfect day to be at the fair. I wanted to give a big congratulations to a young man out of Wausau. And the teen is one of ten competing in the USA Mullet Championship. His name is Caden Kershaw. So give it to him just based on that name, because when I hear that, I think, dude's probably got a mullet. Well, he's a teenager, and I guess the winner gets $1,000 and a pair of Viper sunglasses, which I don't even know what Viper sunglasses are, but I'm looking at this kid's mullet. When I was growing up, I was in the middle of the mullet era to the no-mullet era. So in the 80s, the mullets were popular, That's when I started going to school was the late 80s, hit the 90s, no one had mullets anymore. And then in the late 90s to 2000s, everyone saw the mullet as, oh, no one does that, that's got to be a joke thing. Now it's 2022, and every other kid has a mullet again. How did that happen? So the round of voting goes from the 15th to the 19th in Voters Online could go on and vote for this young man from Wausau. And after that, hopefully he has the greatest mullet in the country, which, just by looking at a photo of it, would agree, he's worthy of it. Go, kid, go. Caden Kershaw. Did you catch any of Bill Maher this weekend? Okay, so Bill Maher is someone that is a little bit controversial, but he's become less controversial in recent years, mostly because Republicans have started looking at him as talking about Republican values, when for the most part he was known as a liberal guy. Very liberal guy. But I think he's been pegged as more of a pragmatic person that has seen a lot of people in his party move away from him and move further and further left. And I think that frustrates him because he looks at it and says, no, I haven't moved. Everyone else has moved. And because of that, and since the line has moved, he's looked at as more Republican than before. It's kind of strange because defending things like free speech and the Constitution, um, things like that have become much more controversial from those on the left. But here we are today. You're a Bill Maher. Every time you say something, you get some controversy in it. This weekend, he brought up a point, and I'm going to ask you this question because his question is, America has now bought into fat acceptance, as F-A-T, fat acceptance. And he says we're basically enabling addicts, as in we're finding excuses and not telling them they should change their habits in order to help their health. And what's that going to mean down the line? It's called the body positivity movement. He calls it a disturbing trend. Let's play a clip from the show.
2: And if you're in any way participating in this joyful celebration of gluttony that goes on now, you have blood on your hands. Full stop. you can make believe you're fighting some great social justice battle for a besieged minority but what you're really doing is enabling addicts which i thought we decided was bad it's not just the drawstring business suits companies like nike sports illustrated victoria's secret companies that are specifically about fitness nevertheless promote people who are plainly not into fitness
3: so he makes this point as part of like a seven minute commentary. It was a really popular one over the weekend. And I'm going to ask this question to you Are we a society of enabling addicts? Now, when he uses terms like blood on your hands, I seem a little extreme, right? Right? Is it? But are we a society that enables addicts when it comes to problems with our health? 855 616 1620. 855 616 1620 is the number on the AccuNet Mortgage talk and text line. Is Bill Maher right? Do we enable addicts in our society? We'll take some of your calls right after the break on WTMJ.
5: Oh,
3: classic Weird Al. All right, I'm Ryan Recker filling in for Jeff Wagner. Bill Maher makes a point, and he, I think, makes an interesting one mostly because if you go online, you find that there are certain sects and groups of people that do everything they can to try to defend what they call body positivity, which is fine. You can say that it's one thing to point out that it's, you know, for some people it's attractive and they enjoy it or whatever it is, but then when you find yourself defending it saying that it's a healthy lifestyle, maybe may be a completely different story. Now, there, are, I, I, of course, there are going to be instances where people may have a certain healthy lifestyle, and they could be overweight, but they're still healthy. I get that. That's totally true. But then we find also the justification of the amount of junk we put into our bodies, as in we justify it for every meal as opposed to a special treat. And don't get me wrong, I understand there's a certain amount of irony with me talking about this at the Wisconsin State Fair and everything I'm surrounded by. But I'll tell you that when you talk to any doctor, It's all about moderation. And it's about finding that balance so you're not overdoing it over and over and over again. Special occasions, things like that, seem to be the right way to handle it. Not everyone can handle it. Some people do have problems with it, and it can be addicting. Food is very much addicting. And here I was during the break eating french fries, things like that. Understand you're not going to be perfect. We're not all going to be like The Rock or whoever, some of these people that are known for their physique. We're not going to be able to always have that. But Bill Maher points out, and he says the quote, Have you ever seen a fat 90-year-old? And the interesting part about that line is, if you get a chance to see the clip, the audience didn't know how to respond. They sat there in silence. And I'm sure Bill Maher wrote that down as a joke. And to try to get people to laugh, and no one laughed. It was dead silent, and he had to wait and pause a moment before you got your one awkward laugh in the back, acknowledging the point. He said, "Healthy at my weight is an unchallenged lie that people tell themselves so they can eat whatever they want to eat." I, you know, it's. I do see this in Bill Maher. Is is right? And it doesn't mean that it's not an easy topic to approach. It just means it's a topic that people don't approach. Or if it is a topic they approach, they approach it in the wrong direction. Meaning that they approach it to say, we're going to find excuses to it, even though it could be at the detriment of your own health. And think about it, too, at the point where a doctor can't tell you these things without fear of upsetting the person. Before, you used to be able to go to the doctor. And you sit down and the doctor say, all right, your blood pressure is a little high. We'd like you to lose some weight. We think this will be good for you. You should probably do that. Now he points out that people bring cards in with them, look like little business cards, that says, hey, I'm, uh, I'm uh, health positive and uh, don't weigh me because I don't think it's necessary, whatever the little card says. And they understand that the doctors w- or should comply with this as somehow... That's not really related to any other health issues. And what we find is that pretty much every health issue that we've run into ever has something to do with your weight. Remember COVID? This was part of the problem, too. When people started coming down with COVID, they realized there was other things called comorbidities. That was an interesting term. I've never heard that term before until really the last couple of years. But the idea was it complicated something like a COVID virus. And because of it, these comorbidities made it harder for your body to fight it off. And it was true. There were these issues with it. And what they found was a comorbidity was obesity. And when we were going through the virus, how many times would you hear separation as being a way to try to help yourself? True. Separation. That was one thing. Um, Cleanliness, washing your hands, things like that. Wearing a mask. They tell you all of these different things. But did they bring up the fact that, hey, if you really want to help yourself, you have to live a healthier lifestyle? And further down the line, are we going to do ourselves a disservice by playing this game? One of the biggest, and again, I I don't want to make it sound like I'm wearing a tinfoil hat here, but one of the biggest things I'm worried about in the future is that we're going to be backing into a system of universal health care just based on the idea that no one's going to be able to afford health care because we've taken such a poor job of ourselves in general as a society, and we're going to have so many conflicts with COVID in the future that it just is not going to be practical. Private health insurance won't be able to keep up with all the the different future claims. That's what I'm really afraid of. And we back ourselves into that. And it's almost like we've done it to ourselves. And those who are responsible or were able to get away with it longer we'll find are the ones that are going to be paying the most for this sort of thing. And it's not to say that a universal health care is the wrong thing for the country. It's not to say it can't work. What I'm saying is we're going to back ourselves into it because it'll be too late for us that no one's going to be able to afford individual insurance because the premiums will be so high based on the trouble we're in. That's what I'm really afraid of. All right, let's take a phone call. Tom, welcome to WTMJ. Hello. Hello.
5: Hi wow there, Thank, thanks for having me on. I, mm-hmm. When you brought up this topic, two things in the past came to mind right away. One of them had to do with, I think you might recall, Jillian Michaels from the show The Biggest Loser. Okay. She came out and she said how when Lizzo, the entertainer singer, and Chrissy Mentz from the show This Is Us, both of them talked about that whole aspect about positive imagery. And what Jillian Michaels was saying was, well, that's great, but you got to understand that really you're promoting something that's unhealthy and people shouldn't be looking at it that way. And she was shot down royally for that. The other aspect that happened a couple of years ago in the past was they brought up the fact of, and they used, used a couple in particular. I forgot what state it happened in, but they were going to be taken to court over the fact of how obese their kids had gotten, and mm-hmm. right away it was a, a society issue again that shot them down. For um, the the people that got shot down were the ones that were um, the ones that were promoting p- the fact that they yeah. should be taken to court, and that was mm-hmm. I thought that was ridiculous. No, parents have a responsibility, and entertainers when they are out there in the public. Um, fine if they have a great body, you know, self-love and image and stuff, but for them to maintain and hold that it's good or it's acceptable from a healthy standpoint, that's just ridiculous.
3: That type of justification. Thank you for the tall uh, call, Tom. Really appreciate that. Let's take some more of your calls on the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, eight five five six one six one six twenty. Does Bill Maher have a good point here, meaning that as a society we're enabling addicts? And we're addicted to food. We'll take some more of those calls coming up. Hold on after the break on WTMJ.
5: You won't get no dessert till you clean up your plate, so eat it.
3: How about that? More Weird Al. So we were sitting here in the studio and we were doing that last segment, and there's about three guys that walk by and i'm like oh he looks familiar wait a minute is that tim michaels that just walked by the wtmj studios so while we had our last caller on and we were talking about that topic i said to mike spaulding real quick hey go get him see if he wants to come on <laughs> so we tried to run him down i don't know if he will Is he here? come on in yeah i think we got lucky here let's do that well, come on in. I thought that was you. Good to see you. Welcome into the WTMJ studios. Uh,
6: thanks for having me. Here, go ahead.
3: You can sit right there. The fair. Grab that uh, microphone right there. Just by coincidence, you walked by. That was really nice.
6: Well, we were at the dairy farm, or dairy barn, and working our way over to the exhibition center, and uh, yeah. I had to stop and get a cream puff. And, sure. Uh, like, hey, let's just wave in the window. Did you get <laughs> a flavor? I just had the regular one. It was yeah. so good. I can't believe it. I can't believe how good they are. Yeah, I know. I forgot, I forgot the, how tasty they are. I think they said what
3: fourteen percent are still undecided. This may determine if they vote for you or not. But how did you eat it? Did you split it
6: open, or did you have like a sandwich? No, I did the sandwich thing. So, did you? Uh, yeah, no, you know, I probably wasn't delicate enough. I'm not really a delicate <laughs> kind of guy. a lot of it oozed out the side and dripped on my shoe. But yeah, yeah that's all right. Okay, <laughs> well, you, get, you didn't get any stains on your shirt or pants. That's, so that's, that's nice. important. That's I, very important. That's
3: how I would have done it. Yeah, I eat like an eight-year-old sometimes. Yeah.
6: How are things going? Tomorrow's the big primary Yeah, we're so excited. I have to tell you, uh, you, know, since I got in this race four months ago, it's just been a meteoric rise, and uh, people are excited. They're ready for change. They're just tired of politics as usual, and they look at me, and they see an outsider, a businessman, a veteran, and they're, they're just saying, hey, I don't like the direction of government. I don't like the direction of the country or the state, and everywhere... Everywhere I go, we've just been getting swarmed here at the fair, too. It's crazy, the positive response. People are just saying, "Uh, you, Tim, to me, you look like something different. You, You feel like something different. You're very genuine, and that's what I'm looking for in politics. People are getting pretty fed up with the state of government these days. Tim Michaels just happened to walk by here after grabbing a cream puff, and it was
3: nice that you were able to join us. You're running for governor as a Republican in the primary that's tomorrow, and there are you know more than a dozen percentage points up for grabs. It seems like right now. So what
6: are you doing to talk to them? What are you? What's your message to them so they vote for you? Well, we think that people uh, at the end are going to break our way. So if they haven't made up their mind to vote for Rebecca Clayfish over the last you know 10 years or 12 years, however long, uh, they've probably been waiting for something, and we're that we're that. Something. And when what we are is, you know, the outsider, the businessman, the non-politician, the veteran, and people find that extremely refreshing. That's why we're surging, and that's why we're going to close this deal tomorrow. Mm. Are you wearing dress shoes or comfortable shoes? Oh, I got so boots want... on. Yeah, are they? Yeah, there
3: you go. Okay. How do they go walking the fairgrounds? It's, it's is bad,
6: it... bad radio, but I just showed them my boots. I yeah. just lifted them up and put it on the table. But are I've, they comfortable? I've been a boot-wearing guy my whole life. You know, twelve yeah. years on active duty in the U.S. Army, wore mm-hmm. you know yeah. wore army boots, and past twenty-five years and construction wore steel toe boots so and i have my boots on today these are good these are good for walking around the fair today oh that's great thank you for the service and uh working construction what'd you do uh, well, Michael's Corporation is the largest construction company in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. We build mainly energy infrastructure. Yeah. About 80% of our business is uh, keeping the lights on, if you will. So we build you know, power lines and substations, and we build big pipelines like the Keystone Pipeline. Yeah. In fact, Michael's Corporation, we were building the Keystone Pipeline on inauguration day, and Joe Biden signed an executive order, shutting it down, and that night we had to lay off hundreds of hardworking men and women. And these are great family-supporting jobs with great health care, great, great benefits, And unfortunately, everybody that's listening today, whether you're a Democrat or Independent or Republican, we're all paying the price for shutting down the Keystone Pipeline. Well, you would know this then? So with the Infrastructure Act, um, a lot of it is climate change related, and they're looking for more electric vehicles, things like that. Are we even ready for that much strain on the grid right now? Not even close. Not even close. So that's something that I also bring to this race and I'll bring to the governor's office is a, a very intimate understanding of the electrical grid and of energy policy. And we're not even close to being ready to have, uh, you know, even 10% electric vehicles. Mm. I think there's about 2% electric vehicles on the road right now, probably even less here in Wisconsin. Mm. I think a lot of those are in California. But, uh, you know, it's going to take decades and decades, you know, there's some goals out there. We want to be 100% electric vehicle by the year 2050. I even think that may be challenging. It's possible. But, uh, you know, right now, people want to get from point A to point B. They want to take their kids to school. They want to get to work. They want to go buy groceries and shopping. And uh, the most cost-effective way to do it is through gasoline-powered vehicles right now. And America was energy independent uh, un- until Joe Biden was sworn in. And here we are today with $4 or $5 gas and 6 $7 diesel. Does your uh, crew warn you don't eat a corn dog while you're here cuz someone will take a picture and take it out you know uh, They do they warn you about things you can't do at the fair Well my wife's with me today and uh she's the only one that can tell me what to do or what not to do <laughs> <laughs> All right, if, if people want to look you up online, what's the website? Yes, it's michaelsforgovernor.com, and uh, all my plans, my very detailed plans, are at michaelsblueprint.com. Mm-hmm. And we go into election integrity, we go into crime reduction, uh, we get deep into education reform, mm-hmm. and my economic policy is in there. So I'm a very detailed guy. That's the kind of you know way I run my business is you have to get, be able to make plans, execute plans, and solve problems. So I encourage people to get out, get on the michaelsblueprint.com website, see our detail. go to Michael's for com and you can see a little bit more about me. But uh, vote tomorrow. Tomorrow's a very important day, yeah, primary yes. day. All of this because you walked by our booth. It was just great timing that we uh, recognized you on the way over. I love it. Well, thanks for having me on. So we're going to keep walking around. I might even yes. have one more cream puff before I leave. Yes. They're delicious. Tim Michaels, thank you so much All for right, stopping have by. A great here. day, everybody. Thanks. Oh, uh, what a cool coincidence.
3: Wow, what a coincidence, honestly, to have. Republican primary race uh, for the Republicans, one of the top two. Tim Michaels walked by. Rebecca Cleefish, I guess, would be next. I'm going to have to keep an eye out for her from the Mobile WTMJ Studios at the Wisconsin State Fair. I guess you'll never realize what you're going to see. You just got to keep your eyes open. Now, I, keep in mind, that was just unscripted, unprompted. We had no idea that was going to happen. We just got lucky, walked by, and I happened to recognize him. So I said, hey, uh, Mike Spaulding, can you go get him? And he did. And he was able to uh, join us for a couple minutes. Uh, one person on text messaging, I understand Cleafish didn't walk by, but unfair for you to give Michaels a free endorsement now maybe i should point out that's not an endorsement i mean just having him on the air isn't an endorsement it's just a conversation opportunity to ask a couple of questions so it doesn't mean that picking sides or anything i just thought that was a great opportunity with him here just happen to walk by and say hi um so no okay we can have conversations with people and she'd be more than welcome to join us on the air i'd be happy to have her on One person texted, R.I.P. Olivia Newton-John. TMZ is reporting this now. Remembering Olivia Newton-John. She passes away at the age of 73. Ah, So here's what TMZ is reporting. Olivia Newton-John, who soared to international stardom as both a singer and movie star has died. Her husband John says she died peacefully at her ranch in Southern California Monday morning, surrounded by family and friends. Olivia has battled breast cancer for more than thirty years. A specific cause of death was not given. Oh hate to see that. I know a lot of people Greece fans, sure. You know, I gotta admit I've never seen Greece, but I understand her cultural significance in movies like that. Well, bummer. I'm sure you'll hear more and, and see more about that. Text message came in, uh, and I think this has to do with our interview just a second ago. The Keystone Pipeline has nothing to do with more oil. It's just cheaper for the company to transport. We take the risk of pollution just for a few hundred jobs. The oil is already in the world's collection of oil. Well, not exactly. I I would disagree with that. Now, right now in Canada, they were also upset about the ending of the Keystone Pipeline because they have this oil, and they produce their own oil, and they export oil. And the United States, being one of those, being just a neighbor, makes it easy for us to get it through a pipeline. That's safe and clean. When you put it on a train and have to transport it, maneuver it around, and things like that, it makes it more likely for you to cause problems. And the worst situation that we run into is then when you're talking about oil from foreign countries on the other side of the planet, if you're talking about the Saudis or anywhere else, now you're going to have to transport this stuff, what, on a a tanker? Now you're going to have to put it through the water? Now, Now you're even talking about the environmental standards of other countries who are refining and pumping this stuff. Who do you think has a better track record when it comes to environmental safety? Uh, North America? Or, I don't know, uh, anywhere else in the world? They don't have the same standards that we do. So ultimately, when we put ourselves in the situation where we make it harder for us to move and use our own oil, and we cap it because we don't have the flow of it, then you're going to have to get it from somewhere, and that somewhere is going to come from some places that are probably doing a lot worse when it comes to the environment, um, environmental standards and whatnot. So I'll just point that out. Thank you for the text message, though. Um, yeah, there's so many text messages coming in about Olivia Newton-John right now. Bummer to see that. It's TMZ reporting it, and it turns out TMZ is pretty good at getting this right. Um, Olivia Newton-John passing away at the age of 73. Uh, real sad to see that. All right, so when we come back, I wanted to do one thing. On my Facebook and on my Twitter page, I forced artificial intelligence to do two things for me. One, I forced it to produce a photograph, and I forced it to write a script for me. So we're going to look at both of those things. I have the photo posted online. I want you to guess what I told the computer to make me, at Ryan Recker on Twitter, or Ryan Recker Radio on Facebook. And the other side of that is, I'm going to read the script so you can actually... Listen to what a computer generated for me to read on this radio program. All computer generated, no people involved. That's coming up after the break. I'm Ryan Recker and WTMJ. Oh, that's right. Wasn't she also a Super Bowl artist one year, like the early years of the Super Bowl? Oh, wow. That's a bummer. So just saw that text message, and it looks like TMZ confirming At Olivia Newton-John, passing away at the age of 73. I'm sure a lot of people remember her and a lot of her work. Don't forget about her music, I guess, as our producer points out. So I wanted to do this first. I have a certain fascination with the way artificial intelligence is going to take over and probably enslave all of society. And that does scare me because it's probably halfway there and we don't even want to give it the recognition. There's a couple of different ways computers have become more open for users and individuals to experience it. And one of which is a website in a organization called Dolly, D A L L E. And Dolly makes it so you could, like a search engine, prompt the artificial intelligence to create whatever you wanted to create picture wise. So before the show, I decided to do this. And this is what I asked the computer to create. The city of Milwaukee, shaped like food on a stick, deep-fried. Being at the Wisconsin State Fair, I thought this would be the opportunity to deep-fry anything. So why not put the city of Milwaukee on a stick and deep-fry it? I posted that photo online... And it is eerie, I mean, that a computer can create that. This wasn't a graphic artist that did it. It was a computer that created this. And it's not just with photographs. There's computers that can create scripts for you. So last night I said, okay, let's test it out. I'm a radio show host. I want to create a script like I'm doing a radio show. So this is what I gave the computer. I gave it just a couple of sentences. Here's the sentence. Ryan Recker entered the WTMJ mobile studio at the Wisconsin State Fair. He grabbed his headphones and sat behind the desk. Steve Caffiti just ended his show, and in seven minutes, Ryan would have to think of something unique to say to the city of Milwaukee. That's what I gave the computer. Now, in the past, a computer wouldn't be able to generate a story based on what you wrote, because it has to be comprehensive. Like, you have to play off of what you just said so it makes sense. So here's what the computer wrote for the rest of the story. The radio station had a large widescreen TV monitor that showed Ryan's image on the air as he talked into the microphone. Now, just that first sentence alone, I mentioned WTMJ Mobile Studio, but I didn't mention radio. It was able to figure that out. And it was also able to figure out TV monitors in the studios, that's all common now, so it has to be able to figure some things out for its own. Okay, then the story continues. Artificial intelligence continued. The rest of the crew, producers, researchers, and technical people were busy running around the booth. Ryan liked being alone with his thoughts before going live on the air. He walked over to the coffee maker, took out a cup, and filled it from the dispenser. There was already two cups of coffee sitting there, one for him and another for Steve, who would be joining him soon. Ryan put the cup under the hot water faucet and started to drink it. It tasted like plastic mixed with styrofoam. He hated coffee, drinking when he had an upset stomach, but sometimes he had to suck it up and suffer through the pain. Now, the story continues to go. I don't need to keep reading this, but what I'm saying is, if this was like an actual book, the way that they wrote that is so... Advanced compared to other forms of artificial intelligence. I was shocked that a computer, just based on my internet prompt, was able to do this instantaneously. I typed in those two sentences and it created that as if I was typing it myself. Each sentence took a second. And then it made me wonder can you write an entire book with artificial intelligence and have it be worthwhile, as in it can create plot points? It could have some sort of continuation from chapter to chapter. Everything seems to fit in with each other, or is it just random based on what the last sentence said? Now, if you're curious the way the story goes, basically I get a phone call from AEG. They said they have a show at the Paps Theater, so it understands Milwaukee stuff. And it wanted to know if I wanted tickets to go to the show. So I said yes, and apparently the tickets just randomly showed up. And then it said that uh, I needed to promote it on my Twitter account. And then it talked about a letter where the person thanked me for mentioning it in an article. So it goes off and it plays all these different media points. I was so impressed by this. Not only that, but with the artificial photograph that was created, the image that was created, artificial intelligence could basically create a comic book. And who knows in the future, you may be watching full movies 100% and generated by a computer. Who knows? And you might not even be able to tell the difference. But think of the sinister ways things like this could be used. Imitating politicians or people of power. Going through and imitating you. What if you get in trouble for work because someone decides to mess with you based on what an artificial intelligent computer can create? That's scary to me. It's scary how realistic and savvy in life like these things have become. If you want to see the photo of Milwaukee deep fried on a stick, I posted it on my social media, Ryan Wrecker Radio on Facebook or on Twitter at Ryan Wrecker.